Hello and welcome to the Big League Big Stream Holiday Podcular. My name is Stephen Douglas. I am here with Kyle Coster. We are both from TheBigLead.com and we are here today to talk about the 1991 classic Christmas movie, Home Alone. Kyle, how often do you watch Home Alone? I would say I watch this movie from a distance a hundred times a year. It's my oldest son's favorite movie. Uh, it's one of the few that is loaded up on his iPad when we go in the car and go on trips. He'll watch it back to back. I don't mind. I never get sick of it. It's it's the perfect movie uh, in terms of bridging kid enjoyment with parental enjoyment. I never get sick of it. It's a masterpiece. It's fun. It's exciting. There's stuff for grownups in addition to kids. Honestly, when you talk about movies that you've seen in the probably approaching 500 times now, not exaggerating there, I, I catch something new almost every time. Like it's rich and it's deep. There's physical comedy. There's great cameos. There are people that come in and steal scenes as we're going to talk about in this particular podcast. But I mean, it's a four star movie for me. Yeah, um, my kids are still too young for it. Uh, so I, I've seen it hundreds of times and that's just from me. Um, I've been watching it since pretty much since it came out. I don't think we saw it in theaters, but I, I remember this movie immediately making an impact on me and it has been a staple, uh, a holiday staple ever since. Uh, one thing that did stand out to me uh, in one of my recent viewings in the last couple days, uh, and there were a few, was uh, I'm like thinking of, is this something that uh, my my kids are ready for? And my five-year-old, I, I'm watching this and I'm like, I was struck by how rude, how absolutely rude the uh, family members are in the movie this time. Uh, maybe before I'd never thought about it from a, a parent standpoint, but I, I don't want my my five year old yet to uh, see Uncle Frank saying "Shut up, look what you did, you little jerk." Uh, when he's a little, but my uh, three year old caught uh, little bits of uh, the the final set piece uh, where they're where Harry and Marv are going through the uh, through the obstacle course, and he kept, he was rolling. Uh, just laughing and screaming and going, those guys are silly. Um, and I had to agree with them. Those guys are very silly. So without further ado, uh, I, I've i put together a list. I, I think that uh, you you mostly seem to agree with it. So let's, uh, let's go from 11 to 1 uh, and talk about our favorite and least favorite characters. Um, at number 11, I have Uncle Frank who uh, is a funny character. Um, he's important uh, just for uh, comic relief and, you know, just being being a jerk. Uh, but just, I understand. I, I, I would not want to go on a vacation with him. Um, he seems like the kind of person that if he was in your family, you would, you would not be uh, having big holidays with him. He, Uncle Frank would be out of the picture already. I think I would have Uncle Frank higher on this list. That's maybe my only critique. You did an excellent job in slotting people. I think he's a top five character. Like you mentioned, 
he's incredibly rude, but he is the kooky uncle in a way that we don't see kooky uncles anymore. He has an edge to him. He is a cheapskate. He is obviously using his brother, taking advantage of all the perks that he can get. He talks about getting a free trip to Paris. When he's on the plane, he's encouraging his <laughs> wife to put, 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 put them in your purse. He doesn't want to pay for the pizza. Like he is just a classic moocher. His own kid too, you know, is going to have some problems. Like he doesn't seem like a good dad either. The way he speaks to his nephew is, is, is jarring. Uh, I don't know what your family is like out there, but that's not how we get down in the Coster family either on either side. Like we're generally hands off when it comes to our siblings, kids, unless there's immediate danger. And we're certainly not uh, being mean spirited to them. He is worthless too. When they go over there (laughs) and they realize that Kevin has been lost on the plane, he says, if it makes you feel any better, I forgot my reading glasses. Like this guy's in La La Land. And it makes me wonder how he even came to having a child of his own. Yeah. So I guess in my rankings, uh, I kind of put this together with who I like the most, who I enjoy the most. Uh, as as an actual character uh, for for comedy and being uh, being enjoyable to watch kind of. Uh, Uncle Frank definitely is much higher, but I was just like when he says that, look what you did, you little jerk. I mean, that suddenly stuck with me as a as a parent. Like, I couldn't imagine my brother saying that to my kid, and I can't imagine saying that to any of my nieces or nephews. However, that is the kind of thing that we might we might quote when our kids are older and uh, something happens. But absolutely the the overreaction of the entire family when uh when kevin sets off the chain reaction of uh pizza ruinment if you will um was just crazy but you know these are the McAllisters, and uncle frank is definitely the moocher of the family one thing that i never noticed before that i just noticed this week was uh when they're they're in Paris and they're stuck in the hotel room trying to uh, get a hold of people and he comes through with the shrimp and he, he's like somebody's like that's not for that's for later and he's like ah and he's just digging into the shrimp as if his uh his nephew his flesh and blood is not uh lost alone in Chicago yeah uh several children could have died on this trip and it wouldn't have deterred him. He would still be at the mini bar, uh, ranking it up on someone else's tab. Uh, in that way, he's a lot like Kevin where he's just not really worried about the consequences. He's going to do what pleases him in the moment. Who do you got at 10? Uh, at number 10, uh, I have Fuller. Uh, again, this is a character that as a memorable character, much higher but like, you know, just a jerk. And he's kind of the stand in for the rest of the family at this point. Um, all the all the cousins and brothers and sisters have like little lines, but like Fuller is like the one that you remember. Um, he is the he's I mean, he's almost more of an antagonist in this movie than uh, Harry and Marv, who are trying to uh, break into a house and murder a child. And it's interesting, too, because he's the loser of the kids. Like he's the nerd as we were meant to understand it back then. He wets the bed. He has nothing going on. 
and Kevin seems really cool. Like Kevin's a cool kid and you got Fuller who's like this total dweeb that's trying to dunk on him. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Obviously it's hard to watch it now and not think about succession. Uh, I think if he didn't grow up and be such a memorable character on succession, maybe uh, it's a forgettable thing. The fact that it's another member of the Colkin family is really cool on screen as well. Those glasses, by the way, are coming back fashion-wise. So Fuller, style icon. Yeah, I mean, Adam Carolla is biting that style right now as we speak. The The look as as he uh, as he's drinking the, the Diet Pepsi uh, is just, it's amazing how he, yeah, how he became the kid from, kid from Succession um, and how suddenly he is the, uh, he's probably the most successful Culkin brother. And, and there's three of them now. They're, they're all uh, working. And Macaulay, you know, he, he popped up on uh, Righteous Gemstones last season. And I, I feel like we could use a lot more Macaulay Culkin in our life. It's long past time for them all to get together and do something. The fact that that hasn't happened yet is kind of shocking. Uh, number nine on your list. Now, there's a big conspiracy theory about this guy. What's that? What's that conspiracy theory about Kevin's dad, Mr. McCallum? Uh, that he was uh, mobbed up. You know, a lot of people think that because he could afford this expensive house in Park Ridge or Oak Park, wherever it is, that, I mean, it's a massive house. You know, people, yeah, yeah. they don't want you to drive by it, but everybody drives by it, uh, leaves all the lights on for two weeks. I mean, the energy bill alone must have been massive. I, I think, I mean, it's John Hurd. And John Hurd is terrific. He was great in The Sopranos. I wish he would have been in more things. He was he had range as an actor. I actually kind of think that I like his parenting style. Like he's a little tough with Kevin, but he does have this softer side. Um, I, I actually kind of, as I've gotten older, I, I identify with him a little bit more than I think I did when I was a kid. And he kind of seemed like this cruel authoritarian. Yeah, I mean, I I guess since they don't uh, out and out uh, discuss what he does for a living, uh, you get to make your own theories. But I mean, he's a guy living in the suburbs of Chicago with a giant house. He could be any number of things. For all we know, he's like a, he's like Michael Jordan's agent or something. As far as the entire family goes, he he seems uh, he seems nicest. It's kind of weird how maybe it's just the fact that there are so many kids. Uh, that they can't help but uh, turn into jerks and be be mean to each other. Um, maybe if it was just like Kevin uh, or if Buzz was an only child, then the children would be much nicer. Yeah, Kevin's dad, he he seems almost appropriately worried about his son, but also while keeping a level head, like trying to be realistic about, you know, this is what we can do, not freaking out. So overall, he, I think he did a pretty good job. I agree. And I mean, he's generous too. Like you see when the pizza guy comes over, he gives them a huge tip. Uh, he's considerate. He thinks about others. I think that, you know, the, the big debate is like, how could this ever happen? You leave a kid back home when you're going over there. There's just so much going on. You see <laughs> them going through the laundry list of things that they have to make sure they get done before they leave. They outsource the count to an unreliable accountant and that comes back to burn them 
first hundred times watching this movie, I thought he underplayed how worried you would be if you left your kid home alone. But you're right. Someone does need to be connected to reality and take the family to the bad hotel in Paris and deal with all them. Because even if though you've left a kid uh, across the Atlantic Ocean, there's still dozens of more that need your attention. Yeah, one another thing that stuck out to me uh, in a recent viewing was that no, I mean, not, never occurred to me as a child, but now it's like you're not packing until the night before. It's dinner time, and you're just packing, and they don't have their uh, their power adapter. None of them have a power adapter. None, none of these four adults. This is just. This is chaos. Um, Kevin is not packed. He's your he's your youngest child. You, his bag should have been packed weeks ago. This is just, I mean, people talk about the McAllisters being uh, bad parents, and I think it's for the wrong reasons. I think it's uh, the lack of preparedness, um, not checking in with Kevin uh, to make sure he's, you know, on their bus. Overall, yeah, Kevin's dad seems like a good guy. Uh, which is probably why he hasn't been clipped yet. Who do you got at eight? Uh, at number eight, I have a small role, Officer Balzac um, of the Chicago PD. This movie is a big proponent for uh, defunding the police, I think. Um, they are, they are uh, ineffectual. Um, they just show... Uh, they are bouncing a mother with a lost child back and forth between offices. Um, they finally go and check on him, and all they do is knock and say, oh, well, the lights are off. There's nobody home. Tell them to count their kids again, as if this is this is something common that happens. Like, well, you know, he's probably hiding behind a couch, and they just called the police because uh, they panicked a little bit from France. The other thing the police do in the movie is uh, chase the child through the park uh, and do not catch him. So overall, very ineffective uh, police force in Chicago in the Home Alone universe. But Officer Balzac uh, gets to represent them because he has a what I have to assume is an intentionally funny name. Well, it is Polish. It does play for being a Chicago cop. Uh, This is Larry Hankin who Mm -hmm. has a lot of memorable roles. He plays the fictionalized version of Kramer in Seinfeld. He's the guy with the monkey from Friends. He just has one of those faces that's hilarious. Uh, Great 90s guy. When Kevin's mom, yes. When Kevin's mom calls, uh, his reaction to this is is she's really hyper. And he (laughs) uses the opportunity to pass back and forth through the wall in that great scene, that scene where they're just playing phone tag, pushing him off, pushing her off on other people while he's just going to town on a donut is, I mean, it's yeah, this, yeah, this movie is anti-cop. I, I, I see it's not subtle in that, in that uh, viewpoint. Yes. John Hughes uh, obviously is uh, down with the movement. So at at number seven, uh, I have old man Marley. We talk about things that stuck out to us uh, on subsequent viewings and it finally dawned on to me that when he sits down with Kevin in the church, finally gets to uh, interact with him in a uh, nice manner. He he says he he addresses the rumors that uh, apparently he murdered his family. He's like, you, you've probably heard things about me and they're not true. Um, 
the fact that he knows that all the neighborhood kids think he murdered his family and he still goes and uh, assaults the uh, sidewalks says a lot about this man. And I'm he he and his son having their getting back together at the end of the movie is probably the real emotional high point more so than uh, Kevin being re- reunited with his family. I completely agree. It's uh, no, it's it's 10 times when he gives the little wave as the snow is falling, like you're you're dead inside if you don't feel something. I love his ability to connect with Kevin, the way he treats him like a grown up. And it's the only character in the movie that treats him like he wants to be treated. And you see the way that Kevin responds with kind of like that childhood wisdom. Yeah, I mean, everybody and everybody growing up had not not rumors of like the South Bend snow shovel murderer, but just this urban legend that was clearly false on its face. Um, it's weird too. It, it, like, I, I just, I, he's appropriately menacing too. Like the way they shoot his boots and the way that he's just, he's really doing something nice, but it's perceived as being something that's creepy and scary. Like it just goes to, the magic of this movie where they're able to find the right tone and really understand how kids see the world and how it can be skewed uh, oftentimes by just a tremendous amount of misinformation from the kids that are slightly older than themselves. Yeah. I, 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 I love it. Um, you know, he goes, he seems like a, he's at that church service alone and, and you really feel his pain when he's telling the story. And, and I think that is, is the lesson uh, of the movie is that, uh, you know, family is super important and it's not going to be perfect all the time and there's going to be mistakes, but there is uh opportunity for salvation. And that's, that's a pretty deep theme for a movie that features guys getting shot in the nuts with BB guns and taking their shoes off and getting looking like a chicken. Yeah. And I think uh, it says a lot about the, the families in the neighborhood. I don't think the McAllisters are the only bad family because this is a church service on Christmas Eve with a full choir. And there are like 10 people in the audience. Where are all the parents? Um, I mean, just just one really nice grandpa is is pretty much the entire audience. And that that that's kind of disappointing. I, I you can't make me go to church to sing on Christmas Eve if you're not gonna come and sit through it. All right, Dad. I will say I, I to not to defend the affluent yuppies in that community, but we do see in the second one that there's a tremendously violent incident at a at a service like this when they're trying to sing a song. So maybe they just knew that there was going to be some sort of drama and have learned to stay away. At number six, you have a real scene stealer. Uh, he comes in hot. He's in there for about 90 seconds, makes a great impression, then then makes a second trip. You wonder how often he was visiting the McAllister's home. Who we got? Uh, we've got the pizza kid. Um, I don't know his name. He works for Little Nero's. Uh, you have to, he, it's back in the era of having to deliver pizza in a certain amount of time or it's free. Um, Nowhere, I, like I lived in more of a uh, rural community growing up, uh, but then I went. I went into a mid-sized city to college, and still, to this day, I've never experienced anywhere that promised to deliver my pizza in a certain amount of time or it would be free. So you know, I 
I'm interested in finding a little Nero's and uh, testing to see if I can get the same delivery driver, though he might be a little bit older uh, 30 years later. Uh, yeah, he, he comes to the McAllister home with the 10 pizzas and I pause to count them just to uh, just to make sure. And I what a tremendous deal. 12250 sounds like for 10 pizzas when most of them have toppings, apparently, uh, you know, that's that's inflation for you. So he delivers the pizza. Um, Kevin's mom gives him a healthy tip. And then he's probably very excited to return when uh, Kevin calls to order his uh, plain cheese. And he shows up and, I mean, he's met with a mobster and shot at. And, you know, he probably feels a little, a little less bad about knocking over their statue then. Yeah, he... Uh, he... His driving record could not have been uh, been clean, but you. But he was forced in that situation, as you mentioned, the thirty minutes or less policy, especially in snowy roads, adverse weather conditions. Like, uh, I mean, I don't really understand what the insurance was like. I'm sure little Nero's was probably like uh, not worried about it. Like any incident would have been the employee's responsibility to take care of. Yeah, he's he's the classic, and we don't see this character too much anymore like the 80s slash 90s paperboy teenager uh it's gone away now all our teenagers are like cool and hot like timothy chalamet uh there was a time where like the awkwardness was embraced like this guy looks like he's just maybe he played like a stretch three on his high school basketball team uh smoked a lot of weed i i, I love everything about him all right and coming in at number five um I have Kevin's mom. Uh, she is obviously very important. Uh, she is mostly unhinged throughout this film. Basically, from the moment she realizes that she has left her youngest child in a different country, she is, uh, I don't know, she's all over the place. She's reactionary. She is impulsive. She does whatever she can do to get one inch closer to her son at that moment she will do even if it turns out in the end that all of the flights and strangers she takes rides with uh get her home approximately three minutes faster than her family her entire family which just hung out in a hotel and then took a flight back um the next day she i don't know she gets in a car with strangers uh, she does not just bad decisions all around, um, but it's Catherine O'Hara and she is delightful as a uh, crazy woman. So that's why she's a top five character. You feel so sympathetic for her. Uh, it's it's brutal to watch her reaction to it. You understand the frazzledness, the craziness. Uh, we talked about John Hurd maybe perhaps being a little too calm for our liking. She's the opposite end of the spectrum. She's just unbelievable in this role. And what Catherine O'Hara is capable of doing with her face is is really amazing. You know, like there's so much of the nonverbal, the concern, the singular mindedness, the determination. Like she doesn't, she's moving everything to the side. You know, we like at the airport, she is not leaving until she gets yes for an answer and like she said yeah she gets in the back of a, of a rider truck uh with the kenosha kickers uh with one of the 
lesser known polka bands uh, in the tri-state area of the time. I think this is her best role. It's probably the one that she's best know, known as um, and a different kind of mom. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting. Like when you think about moms you saw on screen growing up, they were either comically one dimensional or out to lunch. She's kind of in between. Like I buy her as a real person. I think that's really important for this picture. The point you make about her getting there about three minutes before the rest of her family. I don't know like how deep we want to go into this movie, but that's an amazing thing about being a parent is you'll do whatever it takes. You'll beg, you'll borrow, you'll steal, but ultimately you're not in control of the situation. And sometimes the tact you take, you feel like you're doing something and you need to do that, but ultimately you're kind of beholden to whatever the world serves you up. Her return is great. The way she greets Kevin in the house is sort of unusual. You see it the first time, like, oh, that's the reaction. She doesn't just run up to him. She kind of keeps her distance. Uh, just just magnificent. And, and I wonder, too, like, the fact that she doesn't know what's happening at her house and will never know is stunning and probably for the best, because could you imagine what she would be doing if she knew that two people were actively trying to both steal her stuff and physically harm her child. I think that we would have seen her head explode. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it seems like Kevin cleaned up the entire mess of his uh, onslaught. Uh, he cleaned this entire huge house, except for Buzz's room, uh, which is pretty funny. Um, she shows so much range uh, in her attempts to get home. Like she uh, plays to people's uh, to to their hearts, you know. She's like trying to connect with them as humans. She's trying to barter with them, you know. She's getting pushy, uh, you, you know, yelling at people and just like trying to lay on guilt trips. Like, oh, you're you're getting on a plane now. That's real nice. I bet, I bet your kid's not stuck home alone. And uh, so, yes, uh, definitely, she and and the scene on the plane where she realizes what has happened and she sits up and yells, Kevin is like one of, I mean, that's gotta be one of the top 10, 15, 20 iconic movie moments in history. And just like, just that moment. And that combined with uh Macaulay Hogan slapping on the aftershave is another one. Uh, that's, kinda, that's a big part of the legacy of this movie is there are just some things in home alone that are just like absolutely iconic that will live on forever. Do you have anything else about Kevin's mom? No, but just a broader part about the movie is I think it, it never lags. Like it's yeah. so tight. Everything is so essential. When you get these classics, oftentimes it's like there's 10 or 15 minute stretches that you can yeah. leave or fast forward through. Like every single thing in here has a purpose and the pace it moves that is incredible without seeming rushed. Uh, it, it is relaxed, but it's also going incredibly fast. We're getting to the Mount Rushmore section of your list right here. And I think this is your most controversial inclusion. Uh, I, I have a slightly different take on this character, but I understand why he's there. Lay it on me. Well, uh, and number four, uh, the person that ultimately uh, steps in, uh, hears the anguished mother and... Helps her get home. 
he makes her feel better about, you know, being a parent, forgetting a child. Uh, Gus Polinski, the Poker King of the Midwest, uh, you know, Poka Poka Poka, Yamahuzi Poka, uh, Kiss Me Poka, you know, uh, John Candy in just a few minutes, um, just t- comes in and does his John Candy thing and just is the ultimate uh, every man from the Midwest. Uh, it's, a memorable role uh it's got some of the funniest parts of the movie some of the best lines which he apparently you know came up with himself uh i just read that he only took like 400 bucks for this role uh and was bitter about it afterwards so i mean that's that's kind of disappointing but just another uh i mean borderline iconic part of the movie i think I think they had him for like six hours. They did this all in one day. And you can kind of tell the thing about John Candy RIP is that he was for people our age, someone we grew up with. And he brings so much to this movie because he had history with Macaulay Culkin from Uncle Buck. He had planes, trains and automobiles. Well, where he was trying desperately to get someplace uh, during the holidays. It's like, the magic, I think, where I, I feel like I think he's maybe a little bit overrated because he's not in the movie that much. But it's the brilliance is writing the role that brings every single thing that he could bring to the table and amplifying it. And that moment when they're playing the music in the truck going down the road, like it's almost takes you away from the movie and and i almost wanted like i want to watch a movie about that band like do you know how good that would have been it would have been fascinating it would have been so funny it's something that he could have done uh i I just i'm filled when i watch a movie with john candy kind of this sadness that we never got to see him in an older role uh a lot of ways you know like maybe the comparison is john goodman like look at what john goodman has done throughout his career alternating humorous performances with dramatic roles and i'm not trying to get like too depressing on the home alone podcast but it is a shame that we never got to see like that third act of his career yeah i i completely agree uh john candy was so good in so many things and what seemed like a short period of time uh, just kind of that definitely missing out like stuff with Chris Farley or, um, you know, just, or like John Belushi, just guys that were so good and taken too soon, but we're not here for that. We're here for people that are indestructible and the top three people on this list. I don't think any of them can be killed, uh, despite the fact that they are constantly, uh, under attack. Uh, so number three, I don't know if this is controversial, but I've got Kevin McAllister, uh, Macaulay Culkin. He carries the film. Uh, this doesn't work with maybe any other child actor in the history of uh, movies. Macaulay Culkin was just speaking of people that were so good in such a short time. Macaulay Culkin was just I mean, he was the ultimate kid actor uh, and Home Alone was the ultimate showcase. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy to say that this is the best performance by a kid ever in a movie. Uh, He's asked to do a lot of things. He's asked to be vulnerable. He's asked to be cocky. 
the magnetism that he has is unmatched. He created perhaps the most synonymous role with a single actor. Like he could never do another thing after this and not have you be like, that's Kevin McAllister. It's an iconic character. He is smart. He is funny. He interacts with kids. He interacts with adults. There's nothing that can be said that overvalues his performance. I don't, I don't think it's absurd to say that he should have won an Oscar for this. I know this isn't an Oscar movie, but like you want to talk about best actor, like nobody else could have done this. Nobody else could have possibly done this. And if it was the one thing that he's going to be known for forever, it's certainly, you could do a lot worse. Um, Yeah. I mean, in creating this list, so we are presented with the choice of, you know, a lot of people would probably say that Kevin's the top character. He's certainly the protagonist. He's the lead. But I think it's exactly right that the bad guys are one and two. Um, they make the movie, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But his he has to have charisma with Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern while he's putting them through hell. It has to be physical enough that you buy the pain, but not too physical that it's like hurtful. And you see that in Home Alone too. A lot of the stuff that he does goes too far. Like it would kill him. It would kill the people. It would kill the wet bandits. I I just think it's a masterful performance, both what he does with his words, but also the physical part of this is amazing. Like he's sort of turns into an action star for the second part of it. Uh, There's not a single person in the world who doesn't like Kevin McAllister. Yes. At the very top of this podcast, you brought up that the family was mean. And when you rewatch this movie as a parent, you're like, this kid's a little shit. Uh, He (laughs) is really rude and you don't like him, but he's just so damn adorable and charismatic. It's like, they put Leonardo DiCaprio and shrunk him down. And you're just like, okay, I guess I have to like this person because there's this dynamism that you can't really explain and hasn't been matched since. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say. Like, uh, you know, I, I buy him as a eight year old kid, but uh, he, everything seems so realistic uh, the interactions with pretty much everybody with, uh, with the family. I mean, that seems like a real bunch of, uh, brothers and sisters and cousins, uh, just, you know, being just a, a rude family. Uh, but I, I think that just comes with being, uh, part of a, a larger family that you're always competing for stuff and it can't help, but, uh, the younger kids have to grow up quicker because they're exposed to all the older kids. So they're going to, I mean, Kevin was very rude to his mother uh, at the beginning of the movie. And I can't imagine like, I, I, I mean, he like calls her a dummy and like, I think he tells her to shut up at one point. And I just can't imagine what's going to happen when my oldest uh, messes up and says something like that to my wife. Um, but like, he's just so good. And then, the parents and the family are gone and he has to just grow up. And I mean, that's just part of the, how perfect the movie is. Like there's no wasted anything in the movie. All the performances are great. 
Um, and just Kevin, like the way he is afraid of the furnace. I mean, that's such a, you, you mentioned earlier about how like it's shot from the kid's perspective, like uh, old man Marley's boots, like looking intimidating, just like how a, a stranger uh, who's older uh, is scary and how like the furnace and the light and the noise is, is scary down the basement. And then towards the end of the movie, he's like, knock it off. And just like, I'm not afraid of you because he realizes it's just a furnace and the way he, interacts with all the adults when he goes shopping and like suddenly he's like a middle-aged man in a uh, child's body and then he he can switch back like that as he's like uh scared of old man marley and just like panics and runs and everything about it is just great and kevin McAllister is really is just like one of the iconic characters yeah the last thing on this is that you realize how much time he has to carry the movie not interacting with another person when he's home alone. And I think that's just magical. Like the, the BB gun scene where he's shooting down the play, the starting lineup action figures, the eating ice cream, the sledding down the stairs, yeah. like everything is just unbelievable. And you realize he was just doing that with nobody to play off of. I, I just, you can't say enough about the performance. Now the, the big debate, you know, we got the two wet bandits, uh, I went back and forth on this one and I ended with this same lineup as you. Let's talk about number two. Who gets the runner up prize in this uh, one? Number two, I've got Harry. Uh, it's, I mean, it's close. I mean, Harry and Marv are right up there with Kevin McAllister for uh, just like memorable characters. And I mean, they're just the perfect duo. It's the tall, skinny, dumb, bad guy and the short, fat, smart bad guy it's Bert and, Ernie. yeah it, it's it's just perfect I, they you couldn't have cast this better either i mean they just nailed like every single role but uh i i've got marv over harry slightly uh harry played by joe pesci is just so i mean he like how they got joe pesci into a pg movie is something that will just I and mean, it's legendary he he like he swears for like 20 straight minutes without swearing uh it's he's just he's incredible he's menacing he's uh he does a great job as the police officer in the beginning um oh yeah just like very believable uh even though and just just another thing about the McAllisters, like there's a police officer standing in your front door for like half an hour trying to talk to people and they're just so self-absorbed. They're just like have nothing to do with them, ignoring them uh, until finally the father's like, am I under arrest? Which is probably where the uh, the mob thing comes from. But uh, but yeah, I've, I've got Harry number two. Well, he's it's Joe Pesci. He's coming off Goodfellas, like he said, where he sets the record for on-screen f words, and he famously was frustrated that he couldn't swear. Uh, when you read about the production of this movie, he was not the easiest person to work with. He didn't like working with Macaulay Culkin. I mean, that's a Joe Pesci problem. That's not a Macaulay Culkin issue. Um, but you need that acidic. You need to feel scared, and he's legitimately terrifying. Uh, at points of this movie. I, I, let's not forget that 
before he's whacked upside the head with that famous snow shovel, he's about to bite Kevin's fingers off. Like that's crazy. That's like some saw stuff. And he's really going to go for it. You take great satisfaction in watching him get hurt by the booby traps. You at the same time, feel a little bit of sympathy with him because he's paired up with this blithering dolt uh, <laughs> as they try to do their capers. And, and, you know, he's just, you know, like he's, he's really planned and he's really methodical. And then he also, he has a partner that's going to go ahead and leave the water running in every single house that they've knocked to leave uh clues for the police. <laughs> uh, I just, the physicalness of him, like they're different, but him getting his head burned, the, hand on the door with the m stained into it him the not swearing swearing is almost more effective than if he had been using the actual words uh, it's a really tough number two but we do got to give it to number one what about marv makes him the best character of this movie uh daniel stern just playing this perfect uh numbnuts uh career criminal um just like his the physical comedy i mean just for this movie like it's really two movies it's it's the first like uh, two-thirds about the first two acts are about the kid left home alone and the last third the last act where they are laying siege to the house and kevin is protecting his home is I mean, it's probably the funniest physical comedy, uh, the funniest 20 minutes of consecutive physical comedy that has ever been put on film. Um, it's just from the minute that he shoots uh, Harry in the balls with the BB gun, it it is on. And then Marv, just just such a different approach. He sticks his head in the doggy door the face he makes as uh as kevin waves at him and shoots him between the eyes and then they just they split up and it's the fake swearing from joe pesci and just the screams the noises that daniel stern makes as marv as they are just being tortured um i still cringe watching him walk up the stairs and seeing the shoe, the shoe, the sock, the second sock comes off. And then as he steps on that nail and the noise he makes, it's just such a perfect performance. And you needed someone, you know, we talked about the cast. We talked about the casting many times, how they nailed everything. You need someone for comedic relief. You need someone that tones down the menace a little bit. You never feel like Marv is going to ever hurt Kevin. Uh, you need him to make the mistakes that he makes because on paper, like two grown adults versus one eight-year-old is not a fair fight. And then you see one of them kind of has the mental capacity of an eight-year-old. When you talk about Daniel Stern, the things that he did in kids' movies, it, it's pretty unbelievable he was a prolific writer. He wrote some of the most iconic films. He stepped in and I, I don't even really understand. Like I'm trying to think of like a modern day comp for him because he was this really big comedic writery person 
who was also able to act in it and speak to the portion of the audience that like i i just don't know like they just don't make characters and actors like him anymore um I, i'm trying to like who would who would even be I mean, today's daniel stern i mean maybe like will farrell i mean but he doesn't do as much kid stuff like he did kicking and screaming which was good and like the landlord the the sketch with mk's daughter i mean he's he's good in that stuff but yeah it's just uh daniel stern was just the physical comedy like they're when they're at the one house and they're going through all the stuff and just the way he's like poking around with the crowbar and he's got like the scuba diving mask on it's just uh, uh and him outside the back door listening to uh snakes uh get get lit up it's i mean he's just so good in and the way he's when like he and uh he and harry are sitting in the van and like Marv is just kind of looking out the window. Just just him not doing anything is still so funny. He's also the voice in the Wonder Years. Uh, great yeah. in Rookie of the Year. Amazing in Celtic Pride. I His look is amazing. Like the hair. I, I agree. I think the movie doesn't work without Daniel Stern because the tone would be too scary. And like we talked about with Kevin, there was one guy to play him. They found him. The casting goes down as the most iconic in history. And we were just ripped through our top 11 characters, but there's so many people that we didn't mention. You know, I wanted to give a special shout out to a few people who really stood out. First of all, the Santa who gives him a Tic Tac and then can't get his car started the everybody who works at the shopping center is absolutely delightful the guy behind the counter trying to get kevin's mom back home uh with a ticketing issue the old couple uh i I believe that's uh that guy all that old guy was also in seinfeld uh there's just all these people that crop up that just come in for like two seconds and absolutely blow it away is there anybody we didn't mention that you wanted to uh uh give a special uh nod to well i i i feel bad because i i put in fuller and i meant to i meant to make a spot for buzz because he is just he is so good he's the perfect horrible big brother um and his i mean just like his war chest of bullshit in in his room just makes everything everything work uh he's got the gun he's got the spider which saves kevin um you know is he is the spider gonna be all right for a couple weeks well sure he just ate a whole bunch of mouse guts um you know he buzz probably should have been on there uh but you know that's we'll we'll rectify that next year when we re-rank these all right and then we should probably give this thing uh a ranking um out of days of Christmas and then an actual movie. I'll give this one perfect score. 12 out of 12 days of Christmas. Got everything you'd want. I'll also give it a four out of four because you you just can't do better than this. I assume you're going to be in the same page. Uh, Yeah. As a movie, it's perfect. Uh, Four out of four, five out of five. What two thumbs up. However you want to rank that rate this. 
Um, it's just not a wasted moment. It's it's tight. It's short. I mean, I mean, it's like a hundred minutes. I mean, if you make, I I don't know. I mean, Disney just made like the latest Home Alone. That I haven't watched yet, but I'm sure it's bloated. I'm sure there's 15 minutes that can be cut out of it. Maybe there's not. I it's unfair to judge. But when you're comparing it to one of the greatest movies ever and one of the I mean, arguably one of the greatest Christmas movies ever. Um, I'm not sure what you don't have in this. Uh, even you even have Kevin, you have Kevin decorating the tree, which, you know, should have been decorated already. Um, so that's that's maybe a problem with the McAllisters. But yeah, I mean, it's like 11 or 12 out of 12 on the uh, Christmas scale. But as a movie, just flawless. So. For Kyle Coster, I'm Stephen Douglas. Check out thebigleague.com for all your sports and pop culture nexus needs. Uh, this has been the Big Lead Big Stream Holiday Podtacular, and we will be back next week with more holiday movies. Happy holidays. <laughs>